Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Heading into a big holiday weekend, unofficial first weekend of summer. That usually means big movies, and this time it means one big movie we've been waiting on now for quite a while. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we'll start by catching up with Pete Maverick Mitchell. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. It's Top Gun Maverick. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Yeah, this one we've been waiting on, I think, for a good good two, two years. Two full years. I it's been so. done and in the can. And first off, I think it was smart to put it off all this time Agreed. because this movie really demands to be seen on the big screen. And also for a while, remember it was scheduled to come out, I think, last Christmas. November yeah. or Christmas. Right. Yeah. No, no, it's a summer this movie. This is a summer movie yeah. all the way because they're obviously expecting it to attract big crowds, and it's going to. And the movie really has one mission, a three-pronged mission. Attract those crowds, thrill those crowds, and please those crowds. And I think it is going to hit a bullseye on all fronts here. <laughs> people are going to love this movie. They, everybody, So many people I've talked to have been waiting on it. The filmmakers, Cruz and uh, director Joseph Kaczynski, they know that. As you said, as we wrote the uh, written review together, nostalgia flies this plane, oh, and yeah. man, they ride it for every everything they can. Yeah, they they absolutely do. I mean, they you know it's it's learned some lessons from the successful uh, you know long time between sequels that that have come before that have done well, and the ones that have not done well. And you know, all of your favorite moments, they're going to revisit, they're going to relive in some way. And you've got all of the nostalgia of having Tom Cruise return, Val Kilmer return. But then, of course, you've got the young upstarts that's going to bring in all of the next generation to be interested in it. Yeah, actually, it reminded me in a few instances of the Star Wars franchise. No question. Because if you remember with The Force Awakens, as that movie went on, you just realized, wait a minute. They're just selling me back yep. the original New Hope movie <laughs> in with different people. And that's what they do here. They recreate, sure. as you said, so many different plot points. Well, well, let's start with the fact that, that Pete Mitchell now, he's he has not risen past the rank of captain because, as we know, he's a maverick. That's right, he you is. You know, he ruffles feathers. <laughs> and as he ruffles the feathers of Admiral Kane, a cameo by Ed Harris, uh, gets him in trouble. And he's almost grounded, but... His old buddy Iceman, who's also now an admiral, comes to his rescue by getting him assigned back to Top Gun. What? Yes, this time to be an instructor. 
because they've got a secret mission they need the best pilots for. And it's about taking out a secret uranium enrichment plant that they've discovered that they say poses a clear and present threat to the U.S. Now, we don't know who's doing the threatening. What country it is, we never know, but it hardly matters. Not not in this world. No, it doesn't matter at all. But the fact is, there's a mission. He has to take these 12 pilots and test them and train them and then choose six to carry out this mission. And who is in that class of new Top Gun recruits? Is it Goose's son, Rooster, George? It is Goose's son, Rooster, played by Miles Teller, which is genius, not only because he's a good actor. He looks, you talk about a chip off the old Goose. He looks like him. He does, especially with that bad mustache. The bad mustache is perfect. (laughs) They show some old photos and actually some old clips from the first movie, and he really looks like him. So you got that going. So there's that tension right away because Rooster not only resents Maverick because he came home alive when his father did not. There's another reason that we'll find out about later that we won't spoil. So you got that tension going on, and they recreate the the script by committee, and I think one of the writers is Christopher McQuarrie, who's who's a partner of uh, Cruises for Mm -hmm. many films. They just rehash a lot of these moments that you remember. Well, just from the opening minutes, you've got the song Danger Zone, and not a remake, the original, which I like. And also, it just lets you know, look, no, we're living where where you want us to live. We're back in 1986, people. Remember those good feelings? <laughs> Let's get them again. That's where this movie lives. And so you're going to see shirtless team building on the beach. may not be volleyball this time, but it's close. You've got the scene where the instructor of Top Gun walks up the aisle to the surprise of the recruits because, oh, is that the person we saw in the bar last night when we were getting crazy? You've got that. You've got the singing in the bar at the piano there. On and on and on. They just sell you back these memories. And you can roll your eyes at it, but, man, it works. Yeah, it is an exceptional example of emotional manipulation. Really That's is. what this yeah. film is. It just checks every box. It's it a does. formula. They drive hard with the formula, and uh, and people enjoyed it. Yeah, and they're going to love it. And you've also got a new romance now. Uh, Jennifer Connelly plays Penny, and she is an old flame in the years that have gone on. She's an old flame of Mavericks, but now she runs the bar there, the beachfront bar, and she's a, a single mother, and oh, uh, maybe they just need somebody who's as ridiculously good-looking as the, each of them. <laughs> you think they would gravitate, gravitate toward each other, so... You've got that, and you've got the really calling card of this movie, and that is the battle sequences, the air, the air sequences. Glorious, and I they mean, are glorious. Yeah, there's there's no mocking, there's no eye rolling, there's no getting around that. Those are staged gorgeously. They really are. I mean, Kaczynski does a great job crafting those battle sequences, and we got to see it in IMAX. I would recommend seeing it on the biggest screen you can yeah, because we've waited all this time for a big screen version. Yes, it's going to cost a few dollars more, but, man, it really looks glorious. And I, I will say they wait a little while. I mean, you get, the, you get the training footage when they're up there and Maverick is schooling the young pups. But once they get into it, man, they really, they really up the ante and spend more time in the right. danger zone. And uh, it's pretty thrilling. And you've also got the manufactured, you know, remember in the first film there was that, that real tension between Iceman and Maverick. And so they recreate that with two new recruits, Rooster and the guy that would be the new Iceman, Hangman, played by Glenn Powell, who we've seen in a few movies. And he does a good job, too, being that a-hole. He does. He does. He does a good job. Um, and that's that's a tough character to to recreate to mm-hmm. fill because Val Kilmer was, was pretty iconic. He was. As Iceman. 
he was so, you're looking at him like, what you're doing is so dumb. I don't understand how you managed to do it and get away with it, but he did. But I do think that this actor does a, a great job of creating the same type of character. He's very memorable. Yeah, but let's be honest. Early on especially, some of the the dialogue, and while well, they're posturing and playing tough to each other, I mean, it's pretty painful. Oh, yeah, it's it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it, as you pointed out in the written review, some of it sounds like they're spoofing yes. some of these movies. So early on, you're like, oh, boy. It takes boy. a minute. It takes a minute. But in, in the end, I think it's a better movie than the first one because... If you're not going to go by revisionist history, in fact, I've, I've heard from a lot of people in these last couple of weeks that have been revisiting the first one to get ready for this one and reminding themselves, yeah, it wasn't that good. We're rem- oh, no, it was so know, dumb. It, wasn't that good it was movie. so <laughs> dumb. It was so dumb. I was the target audience yeah. for that movie when it came out, and I saw it. I saw it many times. I had a friend in high school who just had her VHS tape always queued up to the, to the yeah. volleyball scene, which even I thought was creepy at the time. <laughs> no, and it's dumb as hell. Yeah. It's so dumb. This is a, a better movie. It, the moments that do work on an uh, emotional level, especially with, with the Rooster and Maverick connection when things get to you know a more bearing our feelings point toward the end, it does work, as you said, better than it ought to. Mm-hmm. So they, I think they have a better commitment to character. If you have seen the first one, if you have carried all these years with you. You have more an investment, so uh, it is going to mean more to you. And we do see Val Kilmer. If you've been keeping up, you probably know about Val Kilmer's uh, health issues. Um, He is, in the trailer, they only show his photo. So you might think, is he really in it? Yes, he really is in it, only for, I think, one scene, maybe? Yeah. One or two scenes at the most. Just the one. Um, So you got that emotion, too. I mean, they they don't pull any chance to button push oh they yeah. push them all here they do but it works it, does. it really does and, and even tom cruise i mean say what you want about tom cruise but i've said this for years if you look up movie star in the dictionary his picture ought to be there he's a movie star he, he exudes it it's just his charisma in this role especially it just it just burns yeah, off the screen it really does and i i want to give him credit because you know it's not the same person it's not the same but it wouldn't be this this human being has had 30 years mm-hmm. for the military to wear him down yeah. and he's subservient without being without having lost his rebellious spirit he says sir and it doesn't rank you know he doesn't rankle at it it's an interesting new look at this character and uh, i appreciated that he he saw that arc yeah. That he wasn't trying to be the same full of energy in your face. You know, he's, you know, he's yeah. got some moments of that, but that's not who the character is anymore because it wouldn't be. That's insane. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you've got some other new faces. John Hamm pops up in a smaller role as another admiral who's not exactly a fan of Maverick, but pretty much has no choice as the mission gets closer and they have to uh, cut down the training time and really get at it. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge, huge hit. Oh, I think they bet on themselves, and it's going to pay off now. I think it's going to attract great crowds and, and please them and thrill them. And that was the mission, and uh, you can say mission accomplished all the way for Top Gun Maverick, and it is in theaters, and it's everywhere right now. Well, who wants to compete with Top Gun Maverick this week? Not a lot. In the past, I think, in the past Memorial Day weekends, we'd see a few, at least a couple big movies going head-to-head. Not really. I think the biggest uh, wide release is an animated movie, The Belchers, trying to save the restaurant from closing as a sinkhole forms in front of it while the kids try to solve a mystery that could save their family's restaurant. It's the Bob's Burgers restaurant in the Bob's Burgers movie. Did you mean to 
arms all over the place while falling into the hole? Because if so, you nailed it. Yes, it all went great. Sister Police, I'd like to report on oh. a thing happened. What do we do? Ideas, go. Oh, 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 what's this thing? No, no, no. Ah! I'm so nervous. I know. Can you believe it? Ta-da! Uh, oh, oh, no! Well, this one reminded us of, boy, we were surprised to learn how many years ago this was, right? <laughs> 2005. Yeah. We went to a critic screening of Strangers with Candy. A show we loved. Loved the show, really got the humor, laughed a lot. In fact, we still quote a few quotes from that movie. And it wasn't long in the screening before we realized, boy, the only people we hear laughing are ourselves. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so it didn't really reach everyone. Cut to the critic screening of this one, and there was, I think, one person laughing, and it was not us. No. And we have to say from the start, we do not watch this show. No. So we did. I mean, aware. I'm aware. We are aware that it exists, and that it's hugely popular. And, and yeah. a lot of people that whose opinions I respect love this show. Exactly. Exactly. They've been at it for a long time. You've got the the creators of the show back for this big screen adventure and bring in some new people. You've got the the veteran voice cast, mm -hmm. including Kristen Schaal and a, and a bunch of people that have been at this for years. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. They're trying to to keep the, the parlance of the restaurant lingo, super serve their regulars. That's not us. No. And so that's like a long-winded way of saying this humor did not work for us. No. I don't find it funny. I do respect what they did with it. The animation looks good. The, the, the songs, I don't know if the TV show is a musical or not. They do add some songs to the, to the movie version here. They're spirited. I just, I think the humor is often forced and repetitive. It's, it's a world, it's a cartoon world where ev almost every single business in the background has a corny name like wait, wait, don't tell me for a gym or sprain, sprain, go away for an orthopedist, things like that, on and on and on, over and over and over, which I don't think is funny to start with, and then they just keep hammering it. So it's very simple. If you like the show, I think you're going to like this movie. I do think, though, I mean, I think there's something to be said for um, shows that are actively still on TV. Yeah. You know, sometimes a half hour is fine, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we've been, we were an enormous Simpsons fans. Mm -hmm. We thought the movie was okay. Right. You know, um, I think that uh, this is going to seem like a weird co uh, comparison, but when this first SpongeBob SquarePants movie came out, I mean, we watched a lot of SpongeBob. I'm yeah. not going to say <laughs> we did it voluntarily, but right. I, I never minded that show. Of course, our son was a massive fan. and But that, you know, just to hear the, the voices from SpongeBob SquarePants for a solid 90 minutes, it was like, <laughs> it was like fearing on the chalkboard. I feel like without the nostalgia, without missing the, you know, feeling mm -hmm. like, oh, I wish I could see such and so again, it's hard to kind of go, yeah, I want to go see it for 90 minutes and pay 20 bucks to do it. I don't, it, you know what I mean? You really have to bring something to deliver, I think, to make that worthwhile. And you know, you it's funny you bring up the sound of the voice there, because that's the other thing. The sound of Bob Belcher's voice, H. John Benjamin, he he does it well, crafts a character, oh, but yeah. it just grates on me. It's yeah. this this breathy kind, and, and it, it's just really annoying to me. So again, I just I just keep throwing it back on me because it it doesn't work. It doesn't work for us. It just, I didn't laugh one time. But I keep saying, if you're, and we keep saying, if you're a fan of the show, 
you'll probably get a lot more out of this. It does feature some other recognizable voices, including Kevin Klein and Zach Galifianakis as the Fish Odor Brothers. Now, that's a funny name, mm-hmm. a funny last name, Fish Odor. Also, Gary Cole and uh, Nick Kroll and some others pop up there. So the Bob's Burgers movie, if you like the show, you're probably going to like it. We didn't know of the show, so I can't really say whether we like the TV show or not. Probably not based on this movie. <laughs> Because uh, it just wasn't funny to us. And we've said many times, humor is a very, very personal thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, one person in our critics group was <laughs> laughing a lot. So I think they enjoyed it, and they're probably going to give you a different review. But we didn't really appreciate the Bob's Burgers movie. But it's in theaters this weekend. Got a drama in theaters as well, and it's sort of an antithesis to the big spectacle of Top Gun Maverick, if you're looking for that, something different this weekend. Two estranged siblings return home to the sprawling ranch they once knew and loved, confronting a deep and bitter family legacy against a mythic American backdrop. This is called Montana Story. So, um, I hear you have gotten a little taste of our family history from my brother. There it is, in the belly of the beast that our dad helped shield from government oversight. Every night I wake up and I think that that can't be what happened. But that is what happened. And that's how it's always gonna be. I missed you. Your father is a man whose past is complete now. Nothing more will be added to his story. But yours. Is still unfolding. Won't you release me? Well, this is the new drama from uh, co-directors, co-writers, uh, Scott McGee and David Siegel, and they've done these small, introspective, intimate dramas over the last few years, like The Deep End, oh, with Tilda Swin, uh, What Maisie Knew a few mm-hmm. years ago as well. And now they're back with this, a, a, a quiet, intimate story set against this incredibly beautiful Montana backdrop. And right away, we got to give a shout out to Giles Nutgins, I think is his name, cinematographer. Filmed this in 35 millimeter. It's just absolutely breathtaking. This is another one to see on the big screen for a totally different reason right. as Top Gun because you're not getting the flying spectacle in, in the air with all these fighters, but you're just appreciating this incredible photography. So this is the same cinematographer who did Hell or High Water yes. a few years ago. Yes. Same thing, just gorgeous, right. gorgeous. American West. Exactly right. And it feels like a Western, but it's so it, it's such a family drama, which we've seen this done before, uh, most recently probably with um, The Power of the Dog, where the, the backdrop is these vast swaths of land, but it's inside this house right. and the intimacy of the house. And that creates the, the contrast. And, and uh, here it's what went on in the past as this family father is dying. And his son is having to take care of things. His son, Cal, played by Owen Teague. You know, they know he's dying. It's just a matter of time. And his son has to get things together. There's bankruptcy involved. They're going to have to sell the entire ranch. They've got this old horse named Mr. T. They're probably going to have to put down. And it's so it's it's not fun times. And Owen hasn't seen his sister, Erin, for many, many years. She She left many years ago. And he doesn't even know where she is. And... She shows up one day, and Aaron is played by Haley Lou Richardson, who is just fantastic. In every single thing. She really is. Even in, in bad movies, she just creates these characters that feel real just from the start. And she's wonderful in this part. 
as I pretty much expected. Owen Teague is good as well. The whole ensemble is good, but Haley Lou is just fantastic. This this woman is is hurt, but yet she's drawn back to see her father before he dies. And of course, we learn as the movie goes along about the trauma and the source of the trauma. But it's not just what caused the trauma. It's also, and maybe more, about the silence that followed between these two siblings and how they can heal that and the hurt that they have to deal with to get there. And um, it's, a, it's a really beautifully realized movie. We've, we've said how, how beautiful it looks. But as far as terms of, of storytelling and acting and just revealing these secrets and these beats of the story slowly to get the maximum effect out of them. It's really it's a wonderful piece of storytelling. And if you're looking for something completely different than Top Gun Maverick, I mean, <laughs> this is it. This is it yeah. Because let's, let's face it, not everybody's down for that sort of spectacle, and that's just fine. This is a great piece of storytelling, a great piece of cinema that, again, for different reasons, uh, demands to be seen on the big screen. Can't, can't say enough how, how gorgeous it is. And it's, it's got these interwoven stories as well. There's also a, a great sort of B story between this family of Native Americans at a nearby ranch. And they come in with sort of tangential uh, moments where they interact with this family about horses and about buying a car and they they really draw you into their story as well and how it compares and contrasts with this family that's having such a such a tumultuous time as their father passes away so uh, it's just another great piece of of intimate storytelling from this pair of filmmakers Scott McGee and David Siegel who have done it before this is just their stock and trade yes you know this is what they do and they do it very very well and again just another tremendous performance from Haley Lou Richardson I would Put my money on her someday winning an Oscar. No question. Uh, because, but she's, and I love her choices too, because she doesn't seem intent on being in that blockbuster. No. You know, she picks these projects she where does. she just makes maximum use of these great characters. I think and I, and one I of the first ones we saw her in was Columbus. Oh, and Columbus. Although I think she was the best friend in Edge of Seventeen, which she was. was a much more she Hollywood was. film than yes. you usually see her in. And she was great in that, but Columbus. Yeah. Look it up. It's such a beautiful, such a brilliant beautiful movie. movie. And that's and, where we just thought, this girl, oh, my God, yeah. this kid is great. And then she was one of the girls in Support the Girls, which is a comedy about a Hooters-type mm-hmm. restaurant that a lot of people didn't see, but was very good. It was. It was and she, good. And she played sort of a, a ditzier character than we're used to. But, yeah, she just has a lot of range, and she's fantastic. And this movie's fantastic. It is called Montana Story. It's out in theaters now. Another smaller movie in theaters this weekend that we liked a lot, an on-the-lam punk rocker and a young woman obsessed with his band unexpectedly fall in love and go on an epic journey together through America's decaying Midwestern suburbs. This is called Dinner in America. You got some place around here we can go? I'm on five different medications. Are you going to eat that? (laughs) I want you to take me to the concert on Friday night. We don't like rock concerts for her because of the strobe lights. You're thinking of a rave. What's that? Are you both on dope? Oh. Do you think I'm weird? You are a total punk rocker. You need to take it down a notch. Well, you were in as soon as I said punk rocker. Oh, my God. And you know what? (laughs) So this is a movie, and I'd seen it compared to SLC Punk, which is a fun movie that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really left a bad taste in my mouth about that movie 
SLC Punk from the 90s, is that it's really a coming-of-age story where the punk rocker realizes that he needs to grow up and quit being a punk Right, rocker. so and you didn't appreciate that. No. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the many, many reasons that I truly loved Dinner in America is that is not the point at all. It's really, it embraces that punk rock ethos, and I appreciated that. It's yeah, this... also a great indie misfit romance, which is one of my favorites. If you're going to have a rom-com, it better be one like this. This is a writer-director, Adam Reimeyer, who has done a lot of camera work and also directed a few mm-hmm. movies. But, boy, has a long a long resume with camera work. But now crafting, a, I will say this is a smaller release. Oh, yeah. But one that definitely deserves some eyeballs. Oh, my goodness, yes. And uh, Kyle Gallner, who I have reviewed, I don't know how many <laughs> movies that Kyle Gallner has had a supporting role in. And whether the movie is good or bad, he is always interesting. Yeah. He's a fascinating actor. And he gets the chance to just... Nail it in this movie. You may have seen him in American Sniper. You may have seen him in The Finest Hours, uh, Dear White People. A lot of supporting roles. Maybe he's a very young that guy. A little bit, except he's got kind of a niche, which mm-hmm. is he's maybe attractive, but he's maybe too creepy, right? That's kind of his niche, that guy. And he 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 uses that for all it's worth in this movie. Yeah. Um, as uh, as Simon, who is secretly nobody knows the leader of this of this punk band. Because uh, John Q sings with a ski mask on. So nobody knows it's him, including Patty. Played by Emily Skeggs. Yes, Emily Skeggs. Another just absolute masterful performance. So so Patty is 20 years old. She dropped out of junior college. She lives with her parents. She has a job cleaning out the stalls at a pet store. She isn't allowed to go to a rock concert because her parents are afraid that they'll have strobe lights. She's not allowed to run <laughs> anything, turn on anything, including the oven or the microwave when she's home alone. <laughs> she's a big fan of John Q's uh-huh. band. So he's running from the police for any number of very legitimate reasons. <laughs> and so and he's hiding in the alley where she's drinking from her, her juice box and having a break because she just lost her job at the pet store. She's got a dirty smock on. She's not impressive. And uh, the police drive in, and they ask her, have you seen anybody? And she's looking right at him. No. So immediately, a friendship is born. Sure. And he wants to go to her house, and he wants to see what's going on. And and it makes you uncomfortable because you're like, this dude should not be allowed to be alone with this this woman. But mm-hmm. she's, they're so endearing. And this is where I think Kyle Gallner really shines in this movie is that he definitely oscillates between creepy guy doing just whatever he wants to do to like finding some some tenderness and then as the movie progresses the the a relationship blossoms and it's so funny that a movie that is this obscenity laced and this preoccupied with the with the preoccupations of this movie could be so just delightful and it really is there's a sweetness and a tenderness to this movie underneath all that's unsettling that it's just, it's such a shocking combination of the two. And you'll recognize some faces from the ensemble as well. Leah Thompson uh, is in this movie. Also, Pat Healy. Uh, Mary Lynn Rextub, who's who's been in the news lately. Let's leave it at that. Uh, she's in there as well. But, uh, yeah, the main part of this movie, what drives it is the, the chemistry and the, the couple, the friendship, the relationship that blossoms between these two uh, unlikely friends. And it's just, you you talked about how, this, there's a sweetness underneath it, and that's that's just good writing. It really is. It's well, good writing. And really good performances. And good performances, yeah. yeah. It absolutely yeah. is. There's something in the direction as well that they, the film embraces the mayhem, the anarchic spirit of punk rock, but it mm-hmm. doesn't do it in a way that is 
ugly or mean-spirited. Like, it really buoys it with, with a lot of funny moments, no matter how sort of damaging or self-destructive the behavior. Or take a worldview that this is something you need to grow out of. Yes. Yeah. I, and I know you love that. I do love that. Yeah, so um, this- yeah, it just, I mean, from start to finish, this movie just made me happy. Yeah. Like, from the opening sequence, I, I was, that, that is the feeling that I came away with. This movie made me happy. Yeah, and boy, there's nothing wrong with that. Dinner in America, that is out in theaters as well. So, so definitely some alternatives if you're not into the blockbusters this week. And this is one, Dinner in America, out now. Let's go to VOD next, a documentary. Every year, 700 pilot whales are slaughtered on the Faroe Islands, despite the protest of animal rights activists. This is called A Taste of Whale. People are disgusted by what they're seeing, but that's always what's happening when you have meat for food. Well, if I have to, I will get down in the water between a knife and a whale. You could get killed. The grin is so special. If you stop killing grin, you take something away from the Faroese identity. This is not an industry that we are opposing. This is basically a whole nation that is fit to their traditions. The best way to protect the pathways would be to talk about the pollution and the contamination of the food. The disconnection between nature and modern people is gone. And when did it go away? So right now, people are saying, well, I don't want to see that. And I think the director is sort of counting on that. Uh, and really, by the end of the movie, plays on the fact that he's got footage you don't want to see. This is a documentarian, writer-director, Vincent Kellner. And he takes us to the Faroe Islands. Yeah, they do this. It's called the Grind. It's spelled like grind, but they pronounce it as grind. And the Faroe Islands are a European country. They're actually a constituent of Denmark, but they operate under their own constitution. And it's one of the reasons why some of the residents that he interviews here just really say it's a privilege to live in the Faroe Islands, to be Faroese. They love it. And they also love their whale meat. And a lot of it comes from this grind where they slaughter, as it says, up to 700 pilot whales a year. And so Kellner really does, I think, an admirable job of coming at this issue from opposing sides. He lets the natives tell their story, why they do this, why they love it so much, why they think they are mischaracterized and misunderstood about them and their traditions here. And then he also lets the activists, most specifically the members of Sea Shepherd, who come in and try to stop this, let them tell their story as well. So you get a bunch of differing opinions without really taking a side. But what's interesting is the longer this movie goes along, you also realize, boy, we haven't seen much carnage here, right? If he wants to get us inside this habit, this practice. We haven't seen a lot of blood. We've had some talk about it. Well, then, as the movie gets in the third act, he starts amping up the pressure and really revealing what's going on with the, I don't want to say agenda, but but if there is one, the, the point of this movie, and that is the fact that he's leading you down to the disconnect between the people who are horrified by this sort of footage and this sort of practice and the people that still eat meat. Mm-hmm. As someone, as a couple people say that he interviews in this movie, this is always going to exist as long as you have meat for food. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand people who don't want to see things die but still want to eat dead things. So that's where this movie is leading leading you to. If you are horrified, if you are moved by this, let's go to the next logical step 
and say, what can you do about it? Because then it extends from the Faroe Islands to the slaughterhouses, and, right. you get, and you get slaughterhouse footage as well. And it's not pretty. I'm not going to tell you. It's not pretty. Oh, no, it's not going to be. And I think I think it's a it's an interesting way to come about that point because, you know, you, you can see people murdering whales in an ocean far away and think that is horrifying. Stop doing that. But then, you know, I'm going to go have a burger later, and I don't want to see the much more common and horrifying conditions so it's not even just that the animals are going to die, but they're dying on a mass scale, which means there are efficiencies, which means that their lives are utterly miserable, as are their deaths. He makes an incredibly good point. He's maybe sneaky about it, yeah. but it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's It leads you, it challenges your convictions, I guess. It does. That if you're going to be horrified, horrified by this, let's take it to the next level. And are you, you going to change your lifestyle? Because as these people point out, that's there's a disconnect there that you have to deal with. And also it, it manages to, it's very interesting before it gets to that, where it, it gets into how the, the psychology of trying to get people to change their behavior, and it's really going to remind you of mandates that we've just mm-hmm. lived through and how you get people to change their behavior, even if it's something that may benefit them, because there's a real argument to be made that the Faroese who eat this meat are eating contaminated meat because there's a lot of evidence that these pilot whales, that their meat is contaminated. Mm -hmm. So there you get into health and safety precautions. Can you tell people, no, you have to do this? Is that going to work? And we've seen that play out here over the last couple of years. So that's a a sort of subtle layer that probably maybe wasn't intended, but you definitely get out of this. But the point is where he leads you toward the end, toward the end, to challenge your convictions. And uh, if you're horrified by this, what are you going to do about it? Um, and, and it's a it's a really also a very even handed look at a tough subject. So, uh, yeah, it's well done. And it's on VOD now. And it does. as You can probably guess it's got some very unsettling brutality toward animals. And I know a lot of people are triggered by that. So just know that going in. It is bloody. And it is on VOD now called A Taste of Whale. And let's go back to theaters for an action sci-fi film with a familiar title. Taranto is a ghost town that no one dares to enter. The poorest are left fighting for survival while gangs are competing for territory. Two 13-year-old orphans who grew up together dream of joining one of the gangs. This is Mondo Kane. Que foi this? Mis padre. Okay, so right away, if you're of a certain age, you might be thinking, Mondo Kane, right. There were those, that was two words. Those original shockumentaries back in the 60s and 70s. No, this is one word, Mondo Kane, and it actually translates to... Dog World. Dog World. Yeah. And that fits. It does. It does fit for a number of reasons. And this is a post-apocalyptic film that is centered on children, which seems to be a pretty common theme in post-apocalyptic films and often works, as it does in this particular case. Yeah, because, of course, right away, you've got hope for the next generation. Right. But they're all orphans. They're children who have to figure out their way. So, yeah. it, you know, it allows you to bring in a lot of elements, you know, like Peter Panish kind of elements, Lord of the Flies kind of elements. I mean, there are all kinds of things that people weave into these films. This is an Italian film, and um, it's such it, it's so fascinatingly uh, sort of put together. You open with these two, two boys in the sea. It's gorgeous. The sea is gorgeous. They get to the beach. The beach is gorgeous. The The sky around them is gorgeous. And, of course, the camera pans around them, and they're in a quarantined area. And behind them, these factories belch smoke into the air, and you see this big chain up that, that, that they, they've risked contamination by being in there. But they're kids, and they're dumb, and so, of course, they've done it. 
And it's what they drag out of the sea is this giant crucifix. And and it's never really addressed. They don't know what it is. They just think it's beautiful. And and it's it's just really the the film kicks off in such an unusual and sort of sadly gorgeous way. And it carries it throughout. It's uh, it's very interesting the way the society is sort of set up because there is still a, a, a working society. There are people who have regular jobs and there's a park and they have dogs. And then there are these other warring factions uh, on the sides. And so, but it, it doesn't feel ever very sci-fi. It feels really grounded in mm-hmm. reality in a way that I found fascinating. The performances are absolutely great. And the resolution is is sad but interesting. I mean, it's a compelling, gorgeous, really interesting new take, which you don't see a lot, mm-hmm. on a dystopian future. I thought it was great. Yeah, so here's another one. This has a smaller release, so in selected theaters, but it's another alternative uh, if you're looking for something different. At the theaters this weekend, it is called Mondo Kane. We should mention that is a co-writer and director Alessandro Celli, if I pronounced that right. Uh, Mondo Kane in theaters now. All right, let's get hip to some new news in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, holiday weekend edition with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. What we got cooking this holiday? Uh, A lot. Uh, Sonny set a June 24th release date for The Man from Toronto, which is the Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart action comedy that they recently bought from Sony. And Shudder will premiere the horror film Allegoria on August 2nd, which is the feature debut of feature directorial debut of Power Man 5000 frontman Michael Cummings, who happens to be the brother of Rob Zombie. So they're uh-huh. both making movies now. <laughs> <laughs> and Netflix will release their horror action flick Day Shift on August 12th, which stars Jamie Foxx as a pool cleaner by day and a vampire slayer by night. All right. <laughs> MGM's On a Wing and a Prayer has been postponed from late August this year to April 5th of next year. So that's a big jump. And Mad Max director George Miller's fantastical romantic drama, 3,000 Years of Longing, has been set for a wide theatrical release on August 31st. And that one stars Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it, but it's pretty wild. Yeah, I have. And uh, I've been hearing some good buzz about that. And of course, I love both of them. Oh, yeah. And Warner Brothers has set a September 9th release date for the new adaptation of Stephen King's Salem's Lot. So, double dose of vampire news this week. <laughs> Uh, Sony has moved up the release of Lyle Lyle Crocodile to October 7th, and Paramount's animated children's musical Under the Boardwalk has been set for an October 21st release. David O. Russell's new period piece drama Amsterdam is set for a November 4th theatrical release by Disney, and that one stars Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Robert De Niro, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Zoe Saldana, Timothy Oliphant, Alessandra Nivola, Matthias Schoenertz, Andrea Riseborough, Mike Myers, and Taylor Swift. So, wow. <laughs> right. Wow. As if, as if there wasn't enough, they throw Taylor Swift at you at the end. Right. Got to have the cherry on top there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Disney Searchlight Pictures has their dark comedy, The Menu, set for November 18th release. That one's with Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and Ray Fiennes. And then lastly, we have a trio of movements. Um Warner Brothers has pushed back the release of Shazam! Fury of the Gods by five days to December 21st. I would assume that's to give give it some time away from Avatar. Um, Universal has postponed their release of their animated Mario movie 
It was going to open December this year. Now it'll open April 7th next year. And as a result, they've pushed back Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, from late September to the December 21st date that Mario just bounced from. Switcheroo. Yep. <laughs> and that's all I've got for you. All right. Week. Well, you can always catch up with Daniel on the socials. Find him at The Schlocketeer. Thank you, and have a great weekend. You too. Looking ahead to next week, a couple movies we are really looking forward to and looking forward to talking about. One, well, one we've already seen and one we're going to see today. Uh, Crimes of the Future, New Cronenberg is next week. So excited. Also, yeah. Poser. Yeah. Uh, the Watcher. Fire Island. Firebird. After Blue. Wolfhound. Unhuman. Benediction. And Makeup. Okay, we'll see what those are about next week. But this weekend, holiday weekend, all about Top Gun Maverick and some others too, some alternatives. What do you think? Let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. That's easy. At Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. Love for you to check that out as well. You can find it all at madwolf.com. So have a great holiday weekend. Keep in touch if you can. Let's talk movies. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Bull. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>